0: The Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey there, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. My name is Kevin Garcia. Welcome to another episode. I am pumped, as per usual, that you're here. Um, I hope your life is going good. If you have not already, gone over to QueerlyBeloved.shop, which is the line of my new t-shirts that I've created alongside my friend, uh, Donald Sherschlitt, who was recently on the freaking Queerology podcast, talking about being HIV positive, being just like a force in the world it's just so good so if you haven't already go over there check that out um it's gonna be really it's just a fantastic conversation um anyways the t-shirts are out now we're placing our first order orders are going to be start shipping the first week in march so if you're a kickstarter backer just be on the lookout for that or if you're somebody who just really wants to like purchase a new shirt or something cute like that go ahead and do that everything will be shipping the first week in march i can't freaking wait it's gonna be so good you guys i'm gonna be up next month i'm gonna be in rochester new york at artisan church on the 17th which is saint patrick's day that's march 17th and i'm gonna be preaching and possibly doing a little bit of music stuff not quite sure yet i need to talk to my friend anna text me um call me we should figure that out um anyways I'm just so stoked to be there, so you should join me up there if you are able. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to be sharing my conversation with the Pastor Lenny Duncan. Pastor Lenny Duncan is a follower of Jesus Christ and is in a passionate love affair with Grace. In March 2018, he was issued uh, he was issued a call to serve the people of East New York at Jehu's Table from the Metro New York Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America as a mission developer, also known as a Church Planter. He is also a frequent voice in the intersection of the church and the cries of the oppressed. He pays special attention to black liberation movements in his work, but lifts up the frequent intersection with other marginalized people. He believes that the reason the ELC has remained so white is a theological problem, not a sociological one. He was a Master of Divinity from the United Lutheran Seminary. Pastor Lenny's um, other credits include being a director on a two-part documentary called Do Black Churches Matter in the ELCA? Um, And his other part, he was working um, with Jason Chestnut, is Young, Gifted, and Black in the ELCA, which are, uh, I know that one is available on YouTube, which is why I was able to get in contact with Lenny, so definitely check him out. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about all of that and more about race about being Lutheran and black being queer and black and Lutheran all of those things uh, go ahead and tune in like this is gonna be a really good conversation and just a note about the recording I was in um, I was in Detroit and happened to be at the creating change conference we were having this conversation. So it might be like a little bit of background noise uh, on my end. So, you know, it just adds to the flavor of it. So anyways, grab yourself something to drink. Uh, Grab yourself a friend. uh, Send this to your mom. And uh, enjoy this conversation with my friend, Pastor Lenny Duncan.
1: So my name is Lenny Duncan, and I'm an ordained minister of word and sacrament in the ELCA, or a pastor. I'm a church planner in Brooklyn, New York, Mm -hmm. and I have been fascinated since the early days of uh, seminary. And so in my study that perhaps the ELCA is so white, um, the problem is not a sociological problem, that perhaps that problem is a theological problem. So it's rooted in uh, a, a theological blind spot. Which, Mm -hmm. you know, for most Lutherans makes their butthole pucker, right? Right. (laughs) You know, they, you know, Lutherans uh, in particular pride themselves on their theology. Right. So to say that white supremacy has its roots in their theology in our church um, is a troubling statement to make.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of people uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, and I haven't uh, made a lot of friends that way. Um,
0: so I, um, when I, uh, I mean, like, I, when I first heard your name, I saw it on a video called um, "Young Black and Gifted" in the ELCA, which was like a little mini documentary that um, uh, I saw through the YouTube's when I was doing research for one of my seminary classes. Um, and what I found really interesting about Um, the stories that y'all were telling in there is that it was so much different than, I mean, obviously different than a lot of the Lutheran stories you tell, which is mostly about, um, or one might hear about a mainly white denomination. So I guess, like, my, I don't really have any opening questions, just, like, what's been the experience around, like, uh, people seeing, you know, you, a black man, coming into a space as 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 a pastor with tattoos and I think you also have a septum piercing.
1: Yeah, I have a septum piercing. And, you know, I, I got some other um, intersecting kind of identities, too. Like, yeah. I'm formerly incarcerated. I spent a lot of years homeless. I mean, you know, I you know, I think I came in the seminary like we all come in the seminary. Like, hey, this is about Jesus. And it's going to be awesome. And everyone's going to love me. Because here I am. I said yeah. yes.
0: Yeah, the who call. wouldn't love me? I'm amazing. Right, right. And
1: that's not the case. Um, mm. I think I think the interesting thing about seminary in particular, so I went to what's now called United Lutheran Seminary in Philadelphia. Um, when I started, it was the Lutheran Theological Seminary um, at Philadelphia. I, I think the interesting thing is that most of my peers unwittingly were reconstructing the same systems of oppression they would rail against in class, right? Mm. So... They didn't know why um they treated me differently, right? Um mm-hmm. than some of the others, but I knew because like I was a large, loud, sometimes obnoxious, um very brash African American male, covered in tattoos, who was large, who had a prison record, had no problem talking about it, had no problem telling my professors when I thought they were dead wrong, and their reactions to me um and A lot of their interactions with me were, were kind of really drenched in whiteness, right? A lot mm-hmm. of these kids were, you know, Lutheran camp kids who had been, you know, coming up through our internal leadership structure for years, right? And right. here I come out of nowhere, you know, on the wing in a prayer, and all of yeah. a sudden, um, you know, I, I'm right there with them, you know, and it's so, like mm-hmm. I get that, you know, uh, the um. The, uh, the uh, scripture verse that always helped me was um, uh, the story of the vineyard and the folks who come to work at 8 in the morning and the folks who come to work at noon. Mm-hmm. And then you know, some other guys show up at 3 and then some show up at 5. And I made no mistake as a person who had never gone to church, had no experience with Jesus, and then suddenly found himself, pulled into the gravity of Christ and pulled into this call mm-hmm. for ministry. I was the person who showed up at 5 o'clock and grace is really disruptive in that way
0: yeah <laughs> just to put it very lightly
1: yeah so so i like you know like i it's it, so the it, it was all these kind of like layered things um uh, you know there was the uh white supremacy that was going on at the school and i think white supremacy is a demonic force mm-hmm. that has a life of its own um mm-hmm. and doesn't need access. Racist to function, right? So no one, I think, ever at seminary was actively racist towards me. In other terms, they did not, they did not have an awareness that I don't like this particular person because of their race. But Mm -hmm. the the cunning thing about the system is is that they were still acting it out, right? They were still living it out, and um, and so that's really interesting. And then you add on the layer that you know. I am covered in tattoos, and I am not a traditional Lutheran, and I do talk a lot of shit, and I am willing mm-hmm. to interrupt a professor and and go down a rabbit hole and say how wrong they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you add on top of that that a lot of these kids, and they're not kids; they're adults. But a lot of a lot of these uh, younger adults have been working their whole lives for this moment, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. I was someone who just kind of showed up, (laughs) you know? And so um, there's a lot to it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. All that aside, my experiences were very different. My experiences were steeped in in whiteness. My experiences were that I had to be smarter, better, faster, more well-prepared and done before everyone else, that I had to work four times as hard to get half as far.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah.
1: and uh, And that's what it's looked like, you know?
0: Continuously now even like being I'm like so are you presently well I have two questions let me ask this question first from yeah. being someone who had never had any sort of experience like within a Christian context, how did uh, Lutheran is like how did you find yourself in the Lutheran church versus like uh, a different expression of Christianity that might be uh I don't know I feel like there's so many people who just like they for, like, they fall into like the really like, uh, the sexy church, sexy white boy churches all over the country. Um, so well, how, did, I, how did you find yourself I, in Lutheranism?
1: Well, I did fall into one of those sexy white boy kind of churches, right? Mm-hmm. I, I was a part of the vineyard movement. Oh, um, okay. Very, very evangelical church planning movement. Um, and that's mostly because, you know, early on in my Christian walk, I didn't want, you know, I'm also in long term recovery and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to a twelve-step meeting, but no one's really talking about Jesus nowadays. And so I would, sneak, I would sneak off the church like I was drinking still, <laughs> and so like I didn't, really, I didn't really have a church home. You know, I would just show up somewhere, and it didn't matter if it was Catholic, Methodist, or e- evangelical, or, or or even if they yeah. didn't describe themselves that way. Wherever I sat down, I would. Sing the songs off key. I would sit up front. I would make fits and jump around. I dropped 10% of whatever I made that week into the basket. And sometimes I wouldn't even say hi to the pastor. I'd just leave. And as I started to get more, um, as me and my partner got together and we started to focus more on what a family might look like, we chose the Vineyard Church because they had, they had, um, saturday night worship and she was waitressing at the time i mm-hmm. mean that was that was the only thing they, they had worship that worked the pastor was welcoming um you know and um they recognized my gifts for ministry they put me on a church plant team mm. um and, and 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 part of that was that you know i mean like so that you had these two kids from missouri they sent out on a church plant team to like a neighborhood that i've been hanging out in, in philadelphia where i'm from for years was the only person of color Mm -hmm. um i was probably the only queer person and i wasn't out Mm. um you know and i started to notice some problems right and i call it the uh the uh the the church plantation complex right yo
0: that's real talk
1: so like yeah they weren't there to plant into the neighborhood which was um the fish town kensington area they weren't actually know exactly
0: where that is too like, yeah, so like they weren't, they weren't
1: reaching out to the local folks there, which were Latinx, Irish, mostly, you know, a lot of them are strung out. I mean, a lot, it's, it's, it's a tough area. And they really were marketing towards these sort of like interlopers who had just bought up all the apartments in the area. Hmm. And I have some concerns with that and some other things. But, I, you know, I also pressed them on a couple things. The first one was is that they didn't feel like education was important um, that I should just go to the Vineyard Institute. And, you know, my reply to that was, is, uh, I wouldn't let a doctor who had never gone to school operate on me. And I think this is just as important, if not more.
0: Uh, um, amen to that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I thought that was a little difficult, um, um, to, to wrap my head around. And then I really pushed them on like where they stood with LGBTQIA people. Um, because I had experienced, you know, um, god in the face of folks like that and i was in a very heteronormative marriage so there was really no reason for me to speak up there was you know my back wasn't up against the wall um or anything like that um but i just really you know really early on that was planted in my heart so anyway you fast forward i get asked to uh preach at a elca church by a friend of a friend um i show up there and you know the pastor stands in front of the table and says the uh, before communion, that Jesus made no restrictions at this table and neither do we. And I was blown yeah. away. Yeah. I had never been at a church where you know I wasn't gonna have to have a friendly chat about my theology
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the pastor, right? Friendly in quotes. <laughs> um, you
0: mean you know, an interrogation?
1: Yeah, right. Um, that I wouldn't have to be a member, right? And that I wouldn't have to prove that i was baptized that i wouldn't have to you know just just come up the table of grace is wide open i mean that shit blew my mind Uh, and it was it was a pastor um, who became my home pastor reverend tim Johansson at temple lutheran church in havertown and um you know it was amazing you know and tim met me you know for a year for lunch like every uh, wednesday Talked to me like a peer and an equal, never belittled my theology or the fact that I was still kind of going to this vineyard church on and off, and, um, and he, you know, he slowly won me to, uh, to to the to the ELCA, and you know, like all church nerds, I uh, read all every social statement they put out, all their theological stuff,
0: right, um,
1: and I just fell in love with the ELCA, and no one in the room looked like me. You know, like no one, no, there was no, there was no one even close to where I was coming from yet. They accepted me with in less than two years, they lifted me up for uh, uh, ordination and the rest has sort of happened since then.
0: Right. That's awesome. And I, I like, um, do you know the lovely Reverend Demi Kegler? Yes, I do. Um, so we have this running joke that she and I, um, that she's been trying to make me become a Lutheran since she met me. (laughs) Uh, And it is honestly, it was the same thing for me. Like when I, uh, I learned what communion really meant from Lutherans. And it's like the one thing that just like, I'm still in awe over is that exact thing of just like, it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, where you are. Like this, this table was set for you. And I remember very specifically like, a Lutheran pastor at like a pulse memorial service, like handing me the bread and the cup and looking me in the eyes and saying, this is for you. And yeah. like, that was just, it's a, it's a revolutionary statement. It's, it's
1: powerful. And um I think it's the best thing the Lutheran church has going for it. And in a lot of ways, um, it's also the great equalizer, right? Mm-hmm. I can preach shitty sermon.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I could really, I could really, you know, uh, i could really mail it in i could yeah. mess up you know the liturgy i could do a lot of things right but mm-hmm. something happens at the table
0: and yes
1: it's really what we're gathered around right and so um you know that was one of the things i loved about the lutheran church i love that there was enough protections um mm-hmm. uh from that kept the people safe from the pastor you know, that they just weren't willing to lift me up and give me a church that they were like, no, buddy, you got to take this psych exam and we got to do this criminal background check and we got to, we, we got to walk with you. You know, wh- got to make sure that you're about,
0: not a, not a cray person.
1: Right. And, and, and also like, you know, like that idea of, I walk to the Lutheran church and I say. You know, to the candidacy committee and the bishop and the synod and you know all those muckety mucks. That I think I'm hearing a call from God, and what they say is, "Cool, well, why don't we walk with you and listen to God?" Mm. That's and so that good. idea that yeah, that discernment happens in community. Yes, right? it happens in community. I just can't stand up and say I'm called by God.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's too many humans. I mean, I, I, I fell into Pentecostalism in college for a little bit and it was always like, I knew that it was like, I, I sensed a call from God like to to go into ministry when I was like nine years old. So I always knew that. And then at every single turn, like I saw a good term, muckety mucks. So to speak, like just like this kid is 16 years old. Why is he leading a ministry? And like, I am, it was, it's, bonkers to me like in hindsight i was like why do we let people do that why did why is our pastor why does he have a master's in economics and not theology this is not okay
1: well and i think part of that comes from i mean there is a there is a institutional decay in mainline protestantism that is undeniable um and i understand the um I understand part of what they're saying is that intellectualism can take us away from being close to the spirit, but not knowing who Jesus was and who he was talking to Mm -hmm. and like, and, and what it sounded like to their ears when they heard it the first time. That's scary. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I think there is a balance we can, we can run in between those.
0: That's something that I, We'll always struggle with like someone said like we, we need both Peter and Paul and I'm like well they both still had like a baseline of education though and they're still in I mean I work in evangelical circles so that's always the fight that we're having is like uh intellectualism or just like any sort of like intellectual interest in the actual uh, workings creation of uh, editing of the Bible and how theology has evolved over time it's like people just assume that like the church has always had, you know, four chord songs and a white worship leader. Like that's what like people just assume. Like. Yeah.
1: Yes, written in the King James version, the
0: way God meant it. Oh, Amen. Oh, Amen. Um and so speaking of like just, you know, all the white things, you uh have written your book that is coming out uh summertime, is that correct?
1: Yeah so the book comes out it's from Fortress Press it's July 2nd and it's a t- and it's titled A uh, Dear Church A Love Letter to the Whitest Denomination <laughs> from a Black from a Black Preacher I'm sorry Dear A Love Letter from a Black Preacher to the Whitest Denomination in the US literally
0: that's a that's a one good fucking title
1: Yeah it's a mouthful right so if you're looking for it on Amazon look so for pre-order you can just uh, search dear church and Lenny Duncan it comes up faster less typing mm-hmm. but um yeah so i wrote it's it's actually a funny story um so i pitched i cold pitched and i can't believe they yeah. they they came they got back to me um but I mean, like rock and roll said, cold,
0: congratulations
1: thank you thank you and i cold submitted to fortress and you know i i my entire career has been um uh uh um, it's, it's, I'm just a bull in the China shop, right? I'm just trying to do what I want to do and I Yo, just go out and do
0: it, right? Same, same, so, same. Are you in Enneagram right, 8 by yeah. chance? Huh? Are you in Enneagram 8 by chance? Yes, I am. Same. That's what I knew I was going to like. friend. Yep. So 8 with a
1: 7 wing. And, uh. Same. So, so I, um, so, you know, I cold submitted and it was this memoir thing um, called The The Trajectory of Grace, which I'm still currently working on. And so like this memoir kind of thing. And um, I pitched it and they, they really wanted me as a writer, but then they got back to me and they were like, they were like, you know, like, hey, the memoir, we, we feel like right now it's a very saturated market. Uh, we would like for you to write a book about where you see the church going in the 21st century. And I wrote back and said, you know, I'm a, I'm a first call pastor. Like you're trying to make sure I have no friends ever again. Like I don't.
0: I don't want to. <laughs> oh my god. But I got
1: to, you know what I
0: mean? Like it, yeah, you know, because if like you getting, say you say the real shit, people are not going to want to talk to you no more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and it's also like this idea of getting a a speech from someone who's not as experienced as you, right? And so I mm. I I, yeah, I I understood that you know that may not win me a whole lot of uh, brownie points, and so I um. But the, you know, I said, "Well, you know, just put together a, a, a table of contents um, that you would want to write a book yeah. on that subject." And so I, um, and I had a blog series um, um, that I on a website I used to have called formerlyunchurched.com. dot and uh, I, you uh, know, I wrote this series called Dear Church, and um, right. so I said, "Well, maybe I'll base it off of that." I am um, so I wrote this table of contents and like I just wrote this this uh group of things that like I I was so pissed dude that like they shot down my memoir like I was uh, like harping.
0: Yeah I was like been there still so trying to get my memoir shopped around right now so I get it
1: Right so it hurt so bad I wrote this crazy table of contents where I was like oh you want me to write a book about all the problems in a church I'm going to give you a fucking
0: book I'm going to give you
1: the book and uh, I Exactly, and so I sent it to him, and they got back to me the next day and said it's a go. Wow!
0: And then,
1: and, and then I had to write it.
0: Right? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so. Then like I had this really dumb part thing. of this. Oh, now I actually have yeah. to produce something. What?
1: Yeah, exactly. And like you know, and and the, this was like a pie in the sky dream. Like I wanted to do a chapter on, uh, like one of the chapters of the book is Dylan Roof is a Lutheran and so am I, mm. right? And. I, I wanted to track Dylan's history all the way up until the trial of Trayvon Martin mm. um, and compare it to mine, right? Damn. Um, and I wanted to do a chapter called uh, um, The Roots Are The Roots Are Infected and talk about the yeah. history of Jehu Jones, the first African-American pastor in the Lutheran tradition ordained in 1832. My church plant is named after him, uh, Jehu's Table. Wow. And I want talk about that um i wanted to do i you know there's a chapter called the uh, the church is queer and so am i mm-hmm. um and you know it was the first time i was publicly out as a queer person um and you you know like I, you know so it, i had i had to put this thing together right um and so it was a challenge and they also um you know the thing about when you get your first book they don't give you a long leash so they gave me three months to finish it
0: three months. That's it. Well,
1: yeah. They gave me three months to finish it. Um, because they wanted it for their, uh, their spring, what they call their spring launches, which is, you know, June to like, uh, September. Right. Um, and so, you know, and I said, yes. Yeah. So my first three months on call, I was, you know, I just started in a, in a, in a black Lutheran church in Brooklyn, New York called Jehu's table where they expected 20 to 30 minutes of preaching. And then I had to write a chapter of the book every week to get, to get edits done in time, um, in that time. So I wrote the book wow. in about two months and did second and third round edits in about a month and got it all submitted. So I was writing like 8,000 words, eight to like 10,000 words a week. And, Shit, dude. And, 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 and out of it came dear church. Um, and it is a love letter. Um, mm. You know, uh, <clears throat> I can only critique something that I de- care deeply, deeply about. I am a yes. I'm a believer in the ELCA. um, I'm a believer, um, in and the Lutheran tradition. I'm a believer in this church, and I see an yeah. incredible amount of potential. For the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 years and beyond in this country. But I believe that the narrative of church decline is directly relational to our lack of diversity. And our lack of diversity can either be our, um, our, our, our Achilles heel, or we can flip it into an asset. And so it's this idea of like... What would happen if you just got ten percent of the ELCA? So not three point eight million people. What if you just got three hundred and eighty thousand to be dedicated to the work of dismantling white supremacy in this in, in 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 this church? You know, and and that's based off the idea that like you know only ten percent of the people who started the American Revolution were actually involved and for it. of people weren't involved and it was a thing that played out in their country, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, um, less than 10% of, 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 of the colonists changed the entire world. Right. Um, and, and, and I think we have, um, the ability to do that in, in the evangelical Lutheran church in America. Um, and so it's this really, um, it's it's a love letter where I try to take risk. I try to be vulnerable. I try to share who I am, um, where I fall short. Um, there's a whole chapter on uh, on me repenting from toxic masculinity. Yeah, and admitting, you know, and admitting quantifiable times that that, that I did these things. Wow, and um, and you know, and, and trying to be um, open to that um while wow, addressing the problem that toxic masculinity is one
0: of the things that's choking this church, right? One hondo. Um, so
1: yeah, so so I mean that's that's what the book is about. Um it's it's my first kind of chip in the ocean um for what I hope will be a much larger conversation, right? Yeah. I, I try not to I try not to offer answers, I think. Um at least not too many. I try to ask questions. I try and wrestle with the problem with you. I point to some possibilities. And, you know, go from there.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay, A, thrilled about the book. Because that's all of that sounds like something that I could sink my teeth into. And I think a lot of people could sink their teeth into. And two, what I think is very interesting for me that you just said was like talking specifically about uh, repenting of toxic masculinity and this is something that's come up in a few conversations with my friends around like having conversations around toxic masculinity and then also creating an example of like what healthy masculinity can look like and then also asking the question like you know what even is masculinity in general versus femininity versus just being a human so i wonder like if you right. like in your estimation like i know that we had we talk a whole lot this is putting you on the spot i'm sure but like if in your estimation what do you think that like a healthy masculinity looks like expressed in the world and then also like a healthy masculinity expressed in the church on the pulpit those sorts of things
1: yeah i you know for me and and it actually comes this idea that i have around um racial justice um to be real honest with you i think I, I think that when it comes to these kind of conversations I think white protestantism is obsessed with the idea of reconciliation right mm. so being the grace people right we're like you know if you this happens every racial justice training someone's like you know everything everything gets quiet it's Q&A time and someone's like okay so 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 what when do we get to reconciliation when when <laughs> do i you know, when do when, i do when, the when thing when can we Yeah, right. When can I I assuage my guilt? Right. And I think um, toxic masculinity falls right in that. I think the proper cycle is repentance, reparations, reconciliation, if the aggrieved party wants to have it.
0: In that order and not before.
1: Yeah. And so I think that particularly men... In the ELCA, you know, as a black man, I make no mistake that toxic masculinity is a part of black church culture, that women of color in this church, particularly black women, can wait yeah. on the average to, to three to like seven years. It's some crazy number in the ELCA, and yet I was handed a church before I even left um, seminary, right? Yeah. And I know a lot of that's male privilege, right? I, mm-hmm. I... I, I I make no mistake about that, um, and and so part of it is like focusing on the the act of repentance and then trying to do reparations in my own life. And so I I, I feel like the chapter that I write about it is like a, a nod to that, right? Like, hey, I owe some sort of debt to womanhood and particularly the sacred feminine.
0: Right. You know? Yes. Owe,
1: I owe some sort of debt to that, and I have um, some privilege and power in this particular arena, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm just starting to recognize at 40 years old, and so and so, what does that look like? And so, part of that is modeling what um, modeling what a healthy uh, masculinity looks like, uh, uh, and, and not even healthy, uh, a liberated.
0: Yeah. You know
1: masculine and 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 what does that mean well part of that is 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 like you know I have a confirmation class full of young black men and just being honest with them like when it when, when I see them playing the game where they try and cut each other down and make fun of each other to build each other up and all those little things you know uh is cutting it short and and, and showing a different way right right um Another part of that is like to look at the roots of where toxic masculinity comes from. You know, my father, who's in the church triumphant right now, um, was 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 not that great of a guy. He was a drinker, and he was the first one to recognize I was queer. And he would call mm-hmm. me earthy language. He would call me faggot, he would call me, you know, man. a bitch, he would call me all these things. And part of what I built this idea that a man is mm-hmm. was in respect what my father said to me right it's like understanding like understanding that 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 part of what i call masculinity is a facade that i built up right yeah um you know uh, um in in response to trauma right it's it's uh, most of masculinity today is a trauma response
0: And, and
1: and and so the best thing i can do is get to the root of that trauma to really talk about it, drag it out into the light, and then discuss it and then listen to the women in my life. You know, my daughter checks the shit out of me all the time. She's yeah. twenty years old. And she checks me all the time because there'll be little things I say and do, you know, um that I don't even notice. You know, one of the things right. that she's been harping on lately is that like, you know, I'll say, you know, she has really she has really great taste in music. And she's really funny, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and one of the things I'll say is she gets that from me. But, but that's not true she, ah, she developed that himself, right? right so right, right, so, right. so so what masculinity tells me is that my daughter doesn't even own parts of her personhood. those are mine mm. that's insane, right, but I don't even notice that right i you know, I just say it, right, I just say it yeah. um, uh I got back from a vacation uh with my wife, and as we're getting on the plane in uh, St Croix. And it's like a crazy airport. You walk across the runway and walk up the steps to get on the plane. You know, it's mm-hmm. like an island airport. Mm-hmm. Some little, like, you know, older cisgender white dude, like, 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 shouldered her and to like rush to get, you know, two seats behind us. Right. Hmm. And, um, you know, I said, Well, I'm going to say something to him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, I was like, You know, this guy, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'm, I was a like, good guy, guy in red. Go talk to him and tell him, you know, why don't you apologize to my wife? Mm-hmm. And my wife looked at me and said, "Why?" She's like, "I don't need you to do that. I didn't ask you to do that, right?" And and yeah. that didn't even occur to me that like she has her own way of navigating in the world, right? Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. wasn't, and and that she doesn't need me to protect her. And 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 what she said, um. And what she said to me, she was like, He's just another asshole. Like why 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 would you even say anything to him? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I also think that like that plus like our personality dispositions uh being AIDS, like we want to defend and we want to be right and like there but yeah, I think that has a lot to do with just that idea of like this is what it means to be masculine, is to be strong, is to be able to mm-hmm. stand up for my people um, when they don't, they can stand up for themselves. And a lot of times when we don't even recognize that we're just kind of perpetuating a cycle of assholery sometimes. Yeah. At least I'll say, I'll speak yeah, for myself no. in that.
1: No, I mean, and, 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 you know, as I undress this stuff, um, you know, it's, it, uh, it's, it's like a, you know, uh, I think, I think uh, Reverend Bull's Weber said it best one time. She said it's like a box of tissues, right? You just as mm. you pull one thing out, you 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 know, you, there's another one and another one, and and so um, part of it was 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 talking about that stuff. I think a lot of um, I think white supremacy um, is the grandfather demon,
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and all its all, all its descendants are homophobia, transphobia. Uh, toxic masculinity um, uh, patriarchy capitalism and so in the book i mostly address white supremacy but you have to address these other things of because course. they're so intersectionally tied together right and they have such a an effect on the church
0: mm. are you still there yeah i am oh sorry it went quiet. I think it cut off a little bit on your end. I was like, wait, are you still there? Um Yeah. Cosign and agree on all of those things. I stand in agreement, as we say in Pentecostal land. I stand in agree with you in that.
1: I stand in agreement with that.
0: Um That's that, that's so good. That's so good. What I what I love about um, deconstruct I think there's like a lot of people think that, I mean like at least like I'll t- I think about like my brothers I'm the third of four sons and the the differences in way like it looks like I'm like you know pretty femme and I'm p- totally fine with it now um to the point where like I'm now not afraid to be femme in front of my brothers who are like dudes like very dude dudes and right we, um you know our father was Mexican and so with uh with that like there is like and he and he was military on top of that so like when you were a lot of
1: machismo, a lot of machismo,
0: wavels. girl wavels. girl, so much. Like as I two
1: What <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you
0: know what I mean. Like
1: yeah. yeah, no, I know. Yeah, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No,
0: you're good. Um, but like when my um, when I I remember like very, I think my father like, similarly to yours, possibly, my father recognized early on that like I was the odd child out of everybody because I was, you know a flamboyant kid from like the time I was a child. Like it was just, it was there. It was like sky is green or sky is blue. Grass is green. Kevin's definitely a queer. Um Right. And he, like he would do things just like, Hey, do you want to go out and like throw it was, it was really subtle things here and there about like, you know, being more physically active instead of going to like a theater or choir rehearsal, or do you want to go throw the ball around? I have no hand eye coordination. I'm, I am. it it was so hard for my dad to learn how to love this child. And he would often, and he often expressed it in a certain way. So as I was trying to rid myself of my homosexuality, like I had this very skewed version of like what it meant to be a man. And it included like the way I treated women. And also like (laughs) when you're trying to be like a quote unquote, live into biblical manhood, whatever that means. um, It's like, I'm so good at honoring women's, bodies because i don't idolize them and i don't objectify them and i don't want to have sex with them um until i'm married right. of course so it's just it perpetuated this like the feeling of like always never being good enough and even now being out like that same kind of toxic masculinity within uh queer queer spaces is like just as prevalent because i even recognize like when i go to queer conferences or queer spaces i think about how I'm presenting myself? Like, do I want to wear a lip color? Do I want to have my nails painted? Because the really attractive guy I might want to try and say something to might not be into a femme guy, and that, right. that shouldn't be an issue. Like, you know, yeah. It's but like that's that's the whole thing. It's just like I know what I know what boys want. I know what they like, and sometimes it feels like that they can't see past um, a bold lip color and it's yeah
1: yeah i mean and, and 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 a lot of that stuff i mean is just really wrapped in these warped ideas of what scripture is really telling us about mm-hmm. love what the church is telling us about love um and what leadership is supposed to look like and again it's like really rooted in this idea of white cisgendered male leadership which I don't know if anyone's checked the history book lately, but that's been the root of every damn problem we've had for like the last two thousand
0: years. Hey, come on, somebody. So i preach.
1: <laughs> so you know, it's 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 tough, right? Mm-hmm. It's tough, but those are also the people, you know. Unfortunately, to get any sort of change uh, across, those are also the people you kind of have to invite in to yeah. the revolution, right? And and you have to be like, hey. Like there's this stuff going on with you and I know it doesn't seem like it but you're trapped in a cage and I know the cage is really comfy and it's gilded and you you have a higher perch than the rest of us and you feel like you can see more but you're not really see-
0: You can't see the details you can't you're see the
1: bars. Yeah. yeah, you can't see the bars and, 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 and I have the key to get you out of there but the key to getting you out of there is my freedom and so Ooh. I'm going to fight for it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so it, it's it's trying to remember that, you know, that's one of the tricky things about any sort of liberation theology is that I fight for my freedom, not just for me, but for the oppressor too. Because in the end, mm-hmm. I free them from
0: a sin cycle that yeah. they can't seem to break. That's something I, So go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, and
0: that's, you know,
1: that's, that's 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 not such great news to the oppressed, you know what I mean like mm-hmm. that, that that's part of the deal right?
0: yeah that's something I continuously re- try to remind myself is that God loves all of these assholes who I am working to like undermine their policies, and God loves like the person who doesn't understand me, and God loves the um you know the guy at the at the Who's protesting pride, and it was like, "How do yeah. I step into a space of such radical love that I can see this person as beloved as well as me?" Um, and I don't—I mean, do, I don't know how to do that yet.
1: Yeah, I—I I don't know if I have any answers. I—I I, I will no, yeah. point to that—that that God seems like you, God, He or She or They love assholes. <laughs> I mean, David David doesn't come across as a charmer, right? No,
0: not in the slightest. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, a- Abraham drug his own child up to a mountain to kill to, to Still <laughs> I such mean, a weird I mean, I mean Yeah, I mean, you know, like, you know, Noah doesn't seem like, you know, he was a talker. <laughs> mm. You know, Moses <laughs> I mean, I mean, Moses seemed to have charisma until they got out in the desert, and then he just seemed kind of like really upset with his gig. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, you know, I, I think the hope is is that God loves assholes. I mean, or or Christianity is pretty worthless.
0: Yeah. You know, um, Did you uh, at least? It was Nadia Boltzweber's webers book, "Accidental Saints." To quote her again, she said. Um, I'm so thankful that God still works through me, even when I'm an asshole and I'm like, girl, same, same. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, that seems to be the thing um, that, you know, I always say that if we took Christianity and, 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 and pretty much any faith system and we put all its scriptures and beliefs and everything into a, into a pot, and then we, added some onions or something and cooked it all the way down to its essence and yeah. we got all the way at the bottom of the pot and once all the smoke wafted out of the way would just say, You are screwed without God. Mm. And that's the essence, right? Is that um the you know, that person who's protesting pride, they're so screwed and they don't even know it. But God knows it. And and, and God is moving Mountains and entire cultural mores um, and entire hearts of nations to get this person to see that queer folks are beloved by God. Yes. Right? Moving whole nations. Mm-hmm. And, and it, uh, um, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing.
0: I love that. I like you, Lenny Duncan. Do you want to be friends? Yeah, we can totally reach friends, Cup. That was my conversation with Pastor Lenny Duncan. You can follow him across social media at Lenny A Duncan and on find more about him on his website, lennyduncan.com. My good friend Lenny, you are just thanks for being on the show today. I really enjoyed it a tiny revolution is supported by 140 amazing people on patreon if you don't know what patreon is it is the easiest way for you to support creatives in your life that are making the content that matters so if you thought this conversation was dope if you like the youtube videos i'm putting out if you like any of the blogs that i've put out in the past or anything else related to queer stuff and jesus i would love for you to become a supporting partner there's great perks associated with that, including becoming a part of a really amazing Slack channel community. Um, uh, there's extra content that's going out very soon. There are t-shirts involved, especially now that I've like revamped uh, my t-shirt line. That's going to be even more dope than it was before, Barbara. So why don't you go ahead and head over to Patreon.com slash TheKevinGarcia, uh, figure out what it means to be a supporting partner, pick a tier, and join in on the queer future, baby. What are you waiting for? Another great way for you to support this podcast is for for you to leave a review. It's really really simple. When whatever podcast app you're listening to, it's preferably iTunes, only because like it's the most widely used podcast app by people. Um, you know, you just leave a little five star review and say, "Oh my God, it's so great! I love this podcast. Everyone should listen to it." God is a woman, and then that would be super helpful. So if you haven't done that already, I would love for you to just uh, be a pal, be a friend, do that. Um, uh, as per usual you can follow me across social media at the kevin garcia check out my ebook check out my youtube channel if you haven't also there's been a huge uptick in my youtube subscribers it's really cool so if you haven't subscribed to my youtube channel you can go to uh, you can go do that From my blog, mekevingercia.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, make sure that you call your therapist, take your medication, drink some water, eat something delicious, move your body, make dinner for somebody. Like, I know you could go out on the town and, like, maybe spend, like, $40 on a dinner. Like, what if you just got two really... You know, two really big chicken breasts, and you marinated them with like lime and garlic for a couple hours, and then roasted them in the pan, and then you put them in the oven for 20 minutes at 425, and then you have the most delicious lime garlic chicken ever, and you barely had to do anything to it. Man, wouldn't that be something? And you wouldn't have to spend $40, it'd only be like 10 that's like 25% of the original cost. I'm gonna stop doing math right now. I love you so much. Thank you for listening. And uh, this has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin, and I love you. I'll talk to you next time. Bye.